And uh, we're going to talk this morning about legacy. Anybody know what legacy is? It's not just a credit union. Anybody know what legacy is? We talk about legacy. Yesterday was a, I, I think there was a football game yesterday. I'm not sure. Uh, I've tried to put it out of my mind since then, but my wife has reminded me that there was a football game. So, and, uh, and, and so Alabama fans this morning are thinking legacy. They're also thinking that Auburn has a legacy of coming number two. But, uh, to Alabama. But um, we're talking about legacy. And so I just want to talk to you for a few minutes. I, you know, legacy, what's in your life? This is sponsored by Capital One, apparently. Um, legacy uh, is defined like this, a gift of property, especially personal property, as money by a will or a bequest. Anything handed down from the past as from an ancestor or a predecessor. And so legacy, and, and, and most of you guys knew that, a legacy is what's left to you. It's something that's given. And of course here, it, for, for the most part, it's thought of as money, it's thought of as property, land, nobility, something like that. The legacy that's handed down. Well, what I want to talk to you this morning about is our legacy. And the legacy that we, that we hand down to those generations, those that were handed down to us and the one that we hand down to the next generation. And we begin to do that. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we just ask that you would be with us in everything we do today. Right now, God, I lay myself down, and I pray that, that my thoughts and my opinions would get lost in all of the stuff, but that your word would come true this morning, God, that it would come through in this place, and that we would leave here knowing that we've heard from you. We ask you that you're awesome and beautiful and matchless name. Amen. So uh, I've been, I like to read, and uh, I read a lot of books. Um, I, I challenged myself to read 18 books this year, and I'm almost through number 17, so I'm trying to hurry up and get through so I can get all the books read. Um, and so, but one of the books that I read, I really like to read biographies. I like to read stories. And being a musician, I love to read about other musicians and uh, famous musicians and, and, and things that they did, how, how they made it, how, things, the mistakes they made, things that they figured out. And um, I just finished a book not too long ago about Johnny Cash. And it's uh, about the life of Johnny Cash, very in-depth. Um, it's about 700 pages. Jamie said I should count that as three books, which means I'm already through. So. But uh, it was a really cool book. And at the end of it, it began to talk about, if you've got, anybody ever heard of Johnny Cash? You guys know what I'm talking about? Hello, I'm Johnny Cash, that kind of thing. So um, Johnny Cash was a great musician, and, and I, I knew some things about him, but I learned a lot about his life. And one of the things, Johnny Cash struggled with drugs throughout his entire life. Um, and it's something that kind of got swept under the rug a lot, and, and, and people knew about it, but it wasn't always brought to the forefront. But he struggled with this stuff, and he got to the end of his life, and he had toured, he had had great hits, and uh, he's one of the few people that's been inducted in both the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Country Music Hall of Fame. The man was just a musical genius. But as he got to the end of his life, he had had about 15 or 20 years where he hadn't sold anything. He would, he would put out records every year, and so they were constantly trying to do it. But it finally got to the point that nobody was buying. His record sales were abysmal. They just weren't doing things until it finally came to the point that Johnny Cash was dropped by his record label. Now, for, for somebody like Johnny Cash, that's the equivalent of, uh, you know, that's the equivalent of, of a great quarterback, Tom Brady, getting cut by the Patriots, or, you know, it's, it's something like that happening. Johnny Cash got dropped by his record label, and so he's sitting there, he's touring, he has, uh, he has his family and several people working for him on payroll, so the man has to tour. He's, he's getting close to 60 years old, and he has to tour constantly just to be able to meet the payroll of all the people that he's helping cover and the, the extravagant lifestyle that he and his wife had grown accustomed to. And so he had these things going on, and Johnny Cash in the book, he begins to think about his legacy. As he gets to be 60 years old, he begins to think, you know what? What, what is my legacy truly about? I had some hits 20 years ago, 25 years ago, but what have I done lately? What is it that I'm leaving? 
What am I leaving behind? Now for Johnny, a man by the name of Rick Rubin, uh, he was a famous hip hop producer. And he ends up working with Johnny Cash. He said, I want to work with you. And they, pr they, they put out what are some of the, many by, considered by many to be some of the four greatest albums that the man ever produced. Uh, and, and it was at the end of his life, and it, 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 it raised his popularity back up. It helped him to leave a legacy, a new generation of people that appreciated the things that he had done. Now, I'm, uh, maybe it's because the age that I'm getting to, I'm in my mid-40s now. Maybe it's uh, uh, half of you in here thought, you're a spring chicken. The other half went, good Lord, you're old. But, you know, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of in my mid-40s now. I'm starting to get to that place where I start to think about things that I didn't think about when I was 25 years old. I didn't even think about when I was 30 years old. I'm starting to get to that place that, that things become more important. Things that, that I didn't think about. Uh, I told one of the, uh, I told one, one of the musicians, one of the younger guys last week, we were talking about music, and he made a comment like, oh, I just can't stand that kind of music. And I said, well, it's because you're young and you don't have perspective yet. And, and because, you know, the older you get, you start to get perspective. Uh, as a music major at Sanford, I had to, uh, uh, we studied classical music. I have a degree in music, I studied music, and uh, at Sanford, everything we did was classical music. I despised it when I was in college. I hated it. I had to go to operas. I drugged my girlfriend, who's now my wife, to these things, and she hated it almost as much as I did. And we got there, and, 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 but I had to do these things. Can I tell you that 20 plus years later, I wish I would have paid more attention to some of those things because I began, I have perspective that I didn't have then. Because you see, then I still had everything ahead of me. I had my whole life ahead of me and, and nothing really mattered because I was still bulletproof and invincible. When you get to be your 40s and you start to go to the doctor a lot more often and you start to do these other things, you realize that, you know what? There's other things out there that I wish I had taken time and looked at. And so this morning, what I want to take just a few minutes to talk about is the fact that not only are we God's plan, but we, God's plan is not just for us to accomplish things right now. God's plan is for us to leave a legacy so that the generation, my children, my children's children, my children's grandchildren, that these people can follow a legacy that I've left behind, that you've left behind, that we leave behind for the next generation, that the church of Jesus Christ leaves behind not a legacy of hypocrisy and not a legacy of, uh, of, of saying one thing and not always doing it, but a legacy of raising the standard a legacy of doing things for Jesus. And so I want to talk to you just about that. One of the most important things about legacy is that a good name is better than money or property to leave as a legacy. I can't tell you how many people reading biographies and, 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 and studying history like I really like to do, um, it's amazing the people who, they, they may have been left great wealth and great fame by their parents, but their parents had a terrible name. Maybe their dad, you know, had, had, had done these things and so he was a terrible business person or something and they've, they've, they've inherited money and wealth and these other things and maybe even power, but they have such a terrible name and so they, they don't have that. Proverbs 22.1, a sterling reputation is better than striking it rich. A gracious spirit is better than money in the bank. Let me tell you, <laughs> I hope I have a gracious spirit because I don't have a lot of money in the bank. So, you know, I hope I get at least one of the two. So. Can I get an amen out there with that? Okay. So, you know, that, that's, that's kind of where we are. And so for us, it's easy to get turned upside down. It's easy to, in, in this culture, in this society, to get turned to the point that, that we become so about, especially when we're younger, man, I'm about making money because I gotta I've got to reach this. I've got to do better. Uh, I, I've, I've got to be able to do things that I never had as a kid so my kids can have them. I've got to be able to get to this point so that I can do some things. 
Maybe you're like, uh, my dad was 60 years old. He was crawling through an attic as an electrician still. He owned his own company. He was doing things, and he had a stroke. Like he was that morning crawling through an attic that evening, and he had a stroke, and he's been paralyzed ever since and had to close his business and retire. And so, you know, for somebody like me, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to accomplish things so that when I'm still doing this, I I have something to hand down. I have something to be able to do that to. Well, what God is telling us in, in his word over and over and over again is that It's more than just having money. It's more than just achieving a position. It's more than just reaching this. It's about creating a name. It's about having a good reputation that people know that, you know, better than anything else, they know that, you know what, I would rather my kids, when they hear, are you Jeff Robinson's son? I I, I hope it's more like, are you Jeff Robinson's son? Man, that is awesome. And not, you're not Jeff's kid, are you? You know, you you guys get what I'm saying? Now, you see, for us, it goes beyond just me and my children. For us, collectively, as the church of Jesus Christ, the followers of the risen Lord, for us, it's about leaving a reputation because I have to tell you, there are a lot of people in the world that say, you're not that kind of Christian, are you? You're not the Christian that, 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 you know, that says this. You're not the one that says you're pro-life when it comes to voting about abortion, but when it comes to helping someone else and it comes to reaching a handout, you don't really want to be a part of that. You're not that kind of Christian, are you? You're not the Christian that talks about love and forgiveness and mercy. Rick, Rick touched on that. I thought it was great last week. We talk about amazing grace that we don't deserve and how we got, and yet we forget about grace a lot of times when we get into discussions about other things outside of our Sunday morning congregations. It's about leaving a legacy that the next generation, there are people in this, there are people over in this section right here and there's some others that, that these guys, I can remember being there. I can remember sitting there and, and hearing the people ahead of me and seeing what they do and thinking, I, you know, one day, and, and of course, when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I didn't have this perspective. So I wasn't thinking, I'm going to take over the church one day. My generation are going to be the ones that are going to be doing that. At that moment, I didn't think about that. But now as I look back, I wish, you know, I wish I had done something else. I wish I had become, I wish I'd learned more. I wish I'd studied more. I wish I'd done these things so that I could leave a legacy, not just for my family. I could leave a legacy for the church. I could help build something that, that, that carries on, not just today or not just next week or next year or five years from now. But that 15, 20, 25, 50 years from now, people understand that there was something that started happening that built and was left and began to move and do those things. In order to have a good name, in order to leave this legacy, because, you know, right now, some of you guys, I can see it in your faces. It's kind of dark, but I can still make most of them out. And, uh, and, and I can see it in your faces. Some of you are thinking, that's all well and good. The young people are thinking, you're old, dude. What do you know? And some of you that are older than me are thinking, been there, done that, get over it. But some of you guys understand what I'm saying this morning, that you know what, how do I do this? It's easy, we talk about it, we bring these things up, and and you're like me, I've sat in probably a half million church services in my life. Uh, For 20 years I was on staff, and so I was in four or five church services a week, I've been doing things, and and I've been doing this, and you're like me, You've you've been in lots and lots of church services. And so maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, this is all well and good, but how am I supposed to get from point A to point B? Well, I'm glad you asked that because you see, it all starts by finishing well. One of the problems that we have is that we start off with a good thing. We come in, we get excited. The new year is coming up in about four or five weeks. That's a scary thought right there. The new year is coming up and we're going to hit another year. And, and all of us are, most of us are going to make out things for the new year, our new year's resolutions. I'm going to lose weight. 
I'm going to exercise more. Maybe you're going to quit smoking. Maybe you're going to do this. Maybe you're going to do this. Whatever it is, I'm going to be a better parent. I'm going to be a better father. And we're going to make these promises, and they're going to last a week, maybe, two days. Maybe, you know, maybe we get really motivated like I do sometimes, and they last three weeks or four weeks or five weeks, and then they start to fall off and decline. But you see, finishing well means that we don't just start off great. Let me tell you what. Auburn is the king of the first quarter yesterday. We won six to three. So if I quit watching after that, I'm really happy this morning. Do you guys follow me? Bunch of Alabama fans this morning, I see. You guys following what I'm saying here? But you see, it didn't end after the first quarter. There were three more quarters, and we didn't win the other three quarters, any of them. And so, so we didn't win the game because we didn't finish. And you see, that's the way it is. And right here in 1 Corinthians 9.24, you've all been to the stadium and you've seen the athletes race. Everybody runs, one wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it and then missing out on it myself. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth that he tells them, you know, uh, Corinth must have been the Alabama of, of, of the old time. You know, maybe that's what it was because he's writing to them guys that understood athletics, guys that understand, you know, they, they, they had seen the, the, the original Olympics and they had seen these things. And he said, you've all been to the stadium. You know that there are a lot of athletes compete, but not everybody can win. Those that finish, those that persevere, those that go to the end and fight till it's over, those are the ones that win. Now, here's the thing about it. For us, how does that relate to us? Well, it starts even right now. December starts next week. And for a lot of us, we're kind of to the point that we're thinking, you know what? About done with this year. I'm going to put it in coast mode. Maybe I've met my sales quota for the year, so I'm going to, I'm going to, chill, for the next, I'm going to chill for the next four weeks. Maybe you're like, you know what? I, man, I just got through Thanksgiving. Uh, I am not cooking for Christmas. So, you know, all you moms, I'm not cooking for Christmas. We're going somewhere else. So I am relaxing for the next four weeks. You know, we, we have these things, whatever it is, we begin to take that mindset. Maybe, you know, there are those of us that once we get to the point when we're young, we get involved in church and we do things and, and, and we start to get involved. And then we reach an age where we say, you know what? It's time for the younger generation to take over because daddy's tired and he's going to sit down and take a break. We begin, to, we begin to do these things, and, and we don't quite finish. We don't do that. There are some people I want to show you that uh, they didn't finish. Judas Iscariot was one of the 12 disciples. Judas, not, now, when I say Judas, just about everybody in here, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, when I say Judas, you think he's the guy that betrayed Jesus. Why did you put him up there? He didn't finish. He didn't start. He didn't really do anything. Judas was chosen as one of the 12 disciples. Think about it. Jesus chose 12 people. Out of all the people that were alive that he came in contact with, the thousands and thousands that he ministered to, he chose 12 people and said, I'm going to make you my church. I'm going to make you guys the 12 that I pour all of my leadership abilities into, and you guys are going to go out and change that. Judas started out as one of those. Now, we run into some things. There are a lot of scriptures, and uh, they're not all on the notes page, so I'll give you just a couple of them. Um, Judas, in, in John 12, 6, is the story of the alabaster box where Jesus is at a party and a girl comes in with an alabaster box. And in it, Judas makes the comment about, man, we could have sold that money and made some more like that. And, and we, we could have sold that and made that money. And there's an aside in the scripture there. It says, he didn't say that because he was really concerned with the poor. He said it because he would sometimes steal money from the offering. So we know that Judas struggled with some things. 
Judas started off as a disciple of Jesus, but we know that you know, he wasn't perfect. But, but you know what? We all make mistakes and we all fall and we do those things. And we know then that if, if you keep reading and you understand uh, in, in Matthew you know, 26 or so, that's where it starts to talk about he betrayed Jesus after, the, uh, after the, the Passover feast. And they go, he takes the three and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and they begin to pray. And Jesus is, Jesus is, 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 is praying and pouring everything out to God because he knows he is about to give his life up the next day. And of course, most of you guys know the story. Judas comes in with uh, soldiers behind him, and he goes up and he kisses Jesus on the cheek because he had worked out a deal with the, he worked out a deal with, uh, with with the guys that were after Jesus. And he said, "I tell you what, I'll point him out. I'll tell you what it is. I'll take you where he's at. You give me thirty pieces of silver." And so he kisses him and does that. Judas is so now. Now here's the thing: we know that Jesus knew because throughout there, there's there, there's signs all throughout the, the scripture before that where Jesus uh, where it, it's talking and it says he would be the one that would betray Jesus. Jesus sitting around the table says, "One of you tonight are going to betray me." And Jesus picked him in. If I'm Jesus, wouldn't I not pick the guy that's going to betray me? I mean, you know. But but Jesus picked him because he knew that this was part of the plan. Judas betrayed Jesus. And in Matthew tw- chapter 27, you find that he was so distraught, he tried to take the money back once they took Jesus. He said, I can't do I betrayed Jesus. I don't want your money. And he said, we're not giving it to you now. Keep the money. And he throws it and he goes out and he hangs himself. He kills himself because of what he did. There are some of you this morning that you have made a mistake. You may have, you may have hurt somebody that you love. You may have done something that you think is unforgivable. But if you finish, all you've got to do is pick yourself back up. If I know anything about Jesus from reading the scripture, if I know anything about Jesus from my own personal experiences, I know that had Judas come back, Jesus would have loved him. Jesus would have said, you know what? You did what you had to do. I forgive you. But Judas didn't finish. There's another person, the rich young ruler, if you read the story in Matthew, you'll find where, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 19, you'll find where the rich, the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he says, teacher, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? I have kept all the commandments. I have done, uh, I, I've kept all the laws of Moses. I have followed the laws. I've done all of these things. Surely, what else must I do to receive eternal life? Don't, you, don't people like that get on your nerves? The kind that come in and, and, and they introduce themselves with their titles and everything, you know? I, I am so glad, you know, I, I, I once scored four touchdowns in a high school football game. I, uh, I want some of you, somebody got the, the, the reference from the TV show there. You know, so uh, they, they, they come in, they introduce themselves. They begin to talk about all the things that they've done. You know, uh, yes, they, they name drop. You know, there was that time that I, uh, there was a time I shook hands with Nick Saban. In the, maybe you saw me on the sideline of the game. I did this. They begin to drop these names. And they begin to talk about these things. That's what the rich young ruler did. He comes to Jesus and he says, what he wants is what, you know, you, you guys know, and, and we've, we've all been guilty to some extent at some point. What he wants is for Jesus to say, this, hey, everybody, this guy knows what's going on. This guy has it together. If you guys could be like him, then we could get this thing done and we could all go to heaven a whole lot faster. But what Jesus does, he looks at him because Jesus, you know, the drag about Jesus is that he can see through all of our junk. Everybody else can half the time too, but Jesus we know again. And Jesus looks through all of this stuff and Jesus says, that's a great start. Now go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and then come follow me. 
And of course, he goes and he does that, and he becomes the greatest disciple. <laughs> That's not the way it works. We never hear about this young man again. We don't even know his name. We know he's a rich young girl that comes in. He didn't finish. He had the opportunity. He had the moment. He had the meeting. He had, he had everything there, and Jesus said, okay, if you really want to do this, here's what you got to do. And he dropped the ball. Many of us come to that place, and just like that, we have the opportunity. All we've got to do is finish. Jesus gives us the opportunity. We have the setup. We drop the ball. All he had to do was finish. He had the instructions. To, you know, he, he had Jesus say, okay, do this, and you're in. And he dropped it because it was more than he wanted to do. Another person that didn't finish, a, person by the, a, a, a being by the name of Lucifer. Maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> Uh, there's a TV show coming on about him this year. I'm sure it'll be scripturally accurate. <laughs> that was sarcasm in case you didn't get that. Lucifer was the morning star. Lucifer was one of the archangels. If you read the scripture and you study, you'll find out uh, a, a lot in, in Ezekiel is one, where, is one of the places where it talks about it. Ezekiel chapter uh, 28. It, it, it goes in and it begins to talk about some of these things. Here's, here's what we know when you go and you begin to study. Lucifer was one of the archangels. Lucifer was in charge of a third of heaven. Lucifer was in charge of the presence of God. Now, we, you know, as, as a worship, I've, I've spent most of my ministry life as a worship pastor. And so, uh, you know, one of the things we often say is that Lucifer was the first worship leader in heaven. And so that means we're all in trouble. No, you know, he, he was obviously one of the first worship. He was in charge of the presence of God. He was the cherub. If you go and you read, he was the cherub that was placed on the mount of God to be in charge of those who came into God's presence. He was an important guy. It says he was encrusted with jewels. They were part of who he was. I, I can't even imagine. It said that, that, uh, that he, he made music with his own body. He, he, and, he was one of God's creatures that he made to be in the presence of God all the time. He had it made. He was born into royalty. He had everything. He, he had inherited a good name. He had the legacy there. All he had to do was do what God commanded him to do. But you see, he began to look at himself and he began to say, I'm pretty good. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm, I'm pretty. <laughs> Man, I'm pretty. And he began to think, you know, I, I, I'm a pretty talented guy. You know, as a matter of fact, I bet, uh, I bet if, if, if Jesus is out of town, I could probably handle the next angel assembly for him. I, I could probably preach for Jesus if he's not going to be at the angel meeting next week. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I could, I, could you know, I bet I could do better than Jesus. I bet... That if God gave me, you know, because I'm not really happy with the way God handled this situation, I bet you that I could handle this better than God did. And he began to place himself above God. He didn't finish. All he had to do was do what he was commanded. Now, can, can I take you just an aside right here and say, God places authority over us so that we have checks and balances with one another. God has placed spiritual authorities. I have placed myself under the spiritual authority of Pastor Rick. He is my pastor. He is the, he is the man that I go to and, and I talk because he is my spiritual authority. Now, that means that I'm responsible for my mistakes. But God has given me somebody that when that he can, and I've given him permission to come to my life and say, you need to fix this. Now, and he rarely comes in and says, you need to fix this. What he says is, hey, what about this? 
and we talk and we get to things and it gets to the bottom of it. God places people in our lives and He places people that we choose to put in authority because He knows that there, God wants us, if we can't operate under authority, then we can't operate under authority. It's, it's, it's the way God works. You know, there, there are people, Pastor Rick is my spiritual authority. Jamie is over the worship team. So when I'm up here on Sunday mornings, Jamie is my spiritual authority because she's in charge of that ministry. And so I submit to her. I've been doing this longer than Jamie's been alive. But Jamie is my spiritual authority on this. And if I can't handle that, I need to find another ministry to go to. Jamie and I get along really good. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about here. I love Jamie to death. What I'm saying is there are many of us that we come to the place, one of the things, especially in America, is that we don't like people telling us what to do. We don't like people telling us what, we come to that age, I, I was that age, that we come to the age that I decided that, you know what, my dad is not nearly as smart enough as he was a few years ago. My dad doesn't know what he's talking about anymore, and he's not going to tell me what to do anymore because I know better. God places people in authority over us. Now, here's the thing. Does that, mean, does that mean that pastor is always right? No. Rule number one, <laughs> when I was on staff, rule number one is the pastor is always right. Rule number two is when the pastor is wrong, refer to rule number one. Now, here's the thing. Does that mean he never makes mistakes? Absolutely not. Does it, mean that, does it mean that he never misses the mark? Absolutely not. But here's what it means. It means that he, I trust him enough because I know that when he does, he'll say, hey, I was wrong about that. <laughs> Sorry. As a parent, I hope my kids know that and when I come to that, that, that when I make a mistake, that I can say, and let me tell you what, in the last 20, I, I've had children for 25 years now. This is the 25 years, there have been a lot of times that I've had to say, <laughs> Sorry, I messed that one up. <laughs> uh, I've been married for, uh, for, for 26 plus years now, and uh, my wife would tell you it's not been nearly enough, but there's been a lot of times that I've had to say, I was wrong, <laughs> sorry, I messed that one up. Part of legacy, part of finishing is understanding that I am not perfect. And because I'm not perfect, Job is not perfect either. Christian's not perfect, we're not perfect. If we were all perfect, then there'd be really no reason for us to be here. <laughs> But we are not perfect, and we need one another to lift one another up. I need people that I can love and I can trust that can come, that can come to me and say, hey, I think, I think you're struggling with this, and I think you need to do this. People that I can trust enough to go in to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. People that I know are not going to gossip about me and go tell somebody else. You see, I'm not going to post it on Facebook because I don't know if you've noticed, but people on Facebook are not the best secret keepers in the world. People on Facebook... <laughs> Don't always believe and react the way that I think they should. <laughs> Leaving a legacy and finishing. The thing with Lucifer is that he could, not, he could not serve under the authority placed over him. And because of that, he didn't finish. And his life has gotten quite out of control. Well, that's really good, Jeff. But, you know, so far we've got bad examples. Well, here's some good examples. People that finished well. David. David was a shepherd. David, you know, he, he sat out and he watched the flock. David was the youngest. And so uh, when it came time to select a king, uh, Samuel, the prophet, goes to his house and he says, uh, he, he talks to Jesse, his father, and he said, one of your sons is going to be the next king of Israel. 
He's excited. Wouldn't you be if you're, you know, you're thinking, well, I'm moving on up <laughs> to the east side. Uh, you, you know, you begin to think so. So he begins to call his son. He calls the oldest son. The oldest son comes in and he's got the, you know, got the gleam on his teeth when he smiles. Ding, you know, and he stands there and, you know, he's, he's all, and Samuel goes, no, that's not him. So he brings out, you know the story. He goes to all the sons. He finally gets to the youngest, David. David is out in the field and he comes in. Uh, you know, and, and obviously, obviously David was not like the, young, the, the younger son, but everybody knew he was the better at. Nobody knew that David was a better anything because he was, the, he was the runt. He was the kid. They didn't know anything. But David, from those humble beginnings, he comes up, he becomes a king. Even after he becomes king, David messes up time and time and time again, and he messes up, but he always comes back and repents. And whenever, whenever the prophet, when Nathan comes to him and points out, whenever the prophet comes and he says, you have messed up, before the presence of God, David breaks down and he, and, and he humbles himself and, and, and he, he finishes well. Now, here's the thing. The law of the harvest was still in effect. And if you, re, if you read all of David's story, when he came to the end of his life, he had problems in his life. There were things that because he had messed up, he still had to deal with those issues. But he ran the race and he finished. And David has gone down in history. He was in the line. He was, Jesus comes from, whenever you read, the house of David. Jesus is from the house of David. Jesus came through the line and lineage of David. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he came from David. David finished. He understood that no matter how many times they messed up, he knows that no matter how many times that he made a mistake, that David finished. And he fought to the end. And even though he had to deal with the consequences of his mistakes... David finished, and he is, he is known. <laughs> there, are, there are entire legions of people who know who David is. Another person who finished, Rahab. Rick touched on her last week. Rahab is one of my favorite characters, um, not because she was a prostitute. Rahab was one of my favorite characters in the Bible because Rahab, Ra 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 for those of you that don't know, uh, when I sent the spies in, Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was there, and, and so they, she helped the spies that came in to, to, to check the place out, and she, she helped the people of God, and so she let down the rope. Rahab was, was and they were told because of this, you know, that, that you're going to be spared. When the city is destroyed, you're going to be spared. And so Rahab comes in, and she, not only this prostitute, this person who lived a life that was completely ungodly, that was, that was completely against what was taught, this person, no matter how we came to know her, no matter what it is that we came to know about her, she is in the line of Jesus Christ. The family, her, her, she comes through her Jesus comes through her family. She finished the race because it didn't matter where she started, it mattered where she finished up. You are God's plan, and God's plan, just like Rahab, is to leave a legacy. Her legacy was Jesus. That's not a bad legacy to leave. Another person that finished well was Jonah. <clears throat> now, some of you guys may be kind of raising your eyebrow like Jonah. Isn't that the dude that got swallowed by the fish? Well, yes, it is. Jonah, <clears throat> now here's the thing about the story of Jonah. See, here, here's what happens. Jesus comes to Jonah and he says, I want you to, or God appears to Jonah. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh uh, because the people there are in desperate need of revival. They're wicked people, but I want to bring revival and I want you to do it. And Jonah goes, nah. I don't think so. Maybe he was, maybe he was playing Xbox. Nah. <laughs> you know, he, he says, he's, I, I don't want to do that. And he begins, he says, I hate Nineveh 
They are such evil, wicked. I don't want to go there because here's the deal, God. I know that you're a gracious God, and if I go, you're going to save them and forgive them. And I don't want you to forgive them. They deserve to go to hell. They did mean things. They pulled for Alabama. They don't deserve to go to heaven. Just kidding. You know, and, and, and Jonah, but you, so, so Jonah flees. You know, it, it's as if, if, if God says, I want you to go to Mexico, God said, uh, J- Jonah said, I'm going to Canada. He picked the opposite direction. You know, he, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Joseph, uh, Jonah goes down to the port and he says, ships, ships, Nineveh, I'm going that way. And he finds a ship that takes him. Of course, you know, God sends a storm. They throw him overboard. He's swallowed by a well. Now, Jonah, at this point, he could say, you know what, God? You've already got me swallowed by a well. You're going to have to kill me because I'm not going. But Jonah learned his lesson. He spits him out. He's vomited out of his mouth. <laughs> and guess where? You know, he vomits him out. Close to Nineveh. And so he goes out and he goes and he has revival in Nineveh and God comes to Nineveh. Jo- Jonah learned his lesson and he finished. You may be running from God this morning. You may have decided, I don't care what you want me to do, God. I'm going the opposite direction because I know better than you, and that's not for me. That's not what I want. But you see, you can still finish because you can come to the place. You may even be in the midst of, you may be in the belly of a well this morning. You may, you may have things going on in your life and all kinds of stuff happening to you, and you don't know why in the world this stuff is happening. It's because God may be trying to get your attention. Hello? But Jonah finished. He learned from his mistake and he finished well. I have one last one. The Apostle Paul. He started his life as Saul. As a matter of fact, there's a, the, first time, the, the first time we ever hear of Saul <clears throat> before he becomes Paul is in Acts 7. Uh, the, first, the first martyr of Jesus Christ is, is a, a person by the name of Stephen. <clears throat> Stephen goes and he is... Stephen is preaching, and he is, he is laying out the Word of God, and it's not coming across very well. And so finally, the religious leaders had had enough of this. They had had enough of his blasphemy. And so they drag him out to the street, and they decide they're going to throw rocks at him, and they're going to they're stone him to death. They're going to throw rocks until he's dead. And we see in the end of chapter 7, and those that threw the rocks laid their feet of a young man named Saul. The very first time we ever hear of Saul, he's involved in killing the first martyr for Jesus Christ. The next time we hear of Saul, he is, he's come up through the ranks. He has studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He has gotten what, uh, what my mentor used to tell me is, is the equivalent of a master's degree. He has studied at the, the feet of Gamaliel, a doctorate degree. He has studied and, and learned through the Socratic method, and, and, and he has become a very learned, educated man. And so Saul goes in and, and he remembers those things that he learned as a young child as they lay the feet, they, they laid the coats at his feet. He, as a young man, he learned those things. And he begins to go out and he begins to persecute the church of Jesus. Those in the way is what the Bible says. He begins to go and he begins to persecute those. He hunts them down, he kills them, he chases them until God gets his attention on the road to Damascus. From that point on, Paul does everything in his ability. He changes his name from Saul to Paul because he said, I've become a new person. And he changes everything about him. And everything that he does is about finishing well. He's the one who wrote that thing in Corinthians about, you guys have been there, you know what it's like. And that's why he said, I personally am going to do everything I can so that I'm not one of those that tells everybody else and misses out on it myself. It's all about finishing. It's all about running the race. Hebrews chapter 6. 
God doesn't miss anything. He knows perfectly well all the love that you've shown him by helping needy Christians and that you keep at it. Now I want each of you to extend the same intensity towards a full-bodied hope and keep at it till the finish. Don't drag your feet. Be like those who stay the course with a committed faith and then get everything that's promised to them. You ever, uh, you ever known somebody? <laughs> you've read the stories, you've watched the movies, the people that quit just before they get to the end. They, find, you know, they, they, they start to get close and they give up. They say, I can't go anymore. I can't do anymore. So many times... We do things like that. You know, we, we fight and we, and we follow after God and we do those things. We, 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 we fight. We, we do things that God has asked us. We go through hardships and we go through trials and we get to the point and say, you know what? I'm done. I can't do anymore. I've had friends and, and, and people that I started in ministry with. One of my best friends in the world that he and I were, uh, he, he and I were ministers together. He, uh, he's not serving Jesus today. A young man that I helped uh, that he, I was one of his mentors when he was coming up. At, uh, I helped him musically, and, and me and one of the other pastors on staff, we, we kind of took him and, and raised him up. And he came up, and he started after ministry. And he started going in. I think I shared this with, uh, with you guys once before. And he decided he was going to minister, um, he was going to, minister to, uh, to, to, to the people that are there in Florida where he lived. And he started going to the inner cities, and he started going to, uh, to, to, to the, the Bohemian culture. And he started getting into it and started ministering to him. And it took him over and it swallowed him up. But the day he gave up because he, he decided that he was tired of fighting and he couldn't fight anymore. He lives as one of them. He divorced his wife. He lost his kids. He's given up everything that he studied for. And there's some of you today that you're fighting stuff. Maybe, maybe it's not even your fault. Maybe it's not like this that he goes out and he begins to get in the culture and he becomes so well adjusted that he forgets. Maybe... Maybe you have been hurt. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe, there, maybe you were in a church and the people there, the spiritual authority that you trusted and you submitted under took advantage of you for his own personal gain financially to further his own agenda. Maybe, maybe you have been subject to that on behalf of the church of Jesus, I apologize because that's not what God is all about. And I can tell you that's not what this church is about. So if that's you this morning and, and, and maybe you're pretty new and you come and, and you've, you've had that, man, I'm sorry. Because you see, I've worked for pastors too that are like that. I've worked for guys young in ministry, and I, I was young in ministry and I would do anything because that was my calling and I would do it. And, and, I would do anything, and there were pastors that they were only out to further their own agendas. And I apologize that it happens like that, but it does, which is why we have to leave a legacy otherwise, which is why it's important for us to not give up, which is why it's important for us to, to stay the course. It seems improbable. It may seem impossible, but God... Is big enough. And God can make a way. There's a whole song, God can make a way where there seems to be no way. When it seems that nothing else is there, God can come through if we don't give up. The three keys, the four keys, the four keys to leaving a legacy. The four keys to finishing well. The four keys to being one of those, one of those last four guys and not the first three that we talked about. 
The four keys. Number one, you have to understand that your beginning doesn't define your ending. Israel Houghton is a, is a worship leader. He's, he's written thousands of songs. He's, um, uh, he wrote the song, Lord, You're Good. The, the guy is one of the, he's one of the top worship leaders. We don't do a lot of his music here. His style's a bit different. He's a, he's a wonderful worship leader, a great guy. Israel Houghton is the result of a rape. And his mom's entire family told her that she didn't need to carry the baby to term. She needed to end the pregnancy. And she refused to. And one of his testimonies is today, he leads thousands and thousands and thousands of people in worship every week because his mom didn't give up. It doesn't matter what his beginning was. He talked about as a child going to family reunions and he couldn't understand why his grandfather would play with all the other kids and bring them in his lap but didn't want to have anything to do with him. Because he was, the, pain, the memories were painful and he didn't want to have anything to do with it. It didn't matter where he started, it's where he ended. Paul, Saul, started persecuting Christians from, from, as a young man, was, was a witness and a part to the first martyr of Jesus. And it doesn't matter that. What matters is the man who, who spent time in a jail cell who was imprisoned and beaten and shipwrecked and everything else, spreading the message of Jesus Christ, and who history tells us most likely was beheaded. They couldn't crucify him like they did a lot of the other disciples because he was actually a citizen, a Roman citizen, so they couldn't do that, so they chopped his head off. It doesn't matter how you start, it's how you end. Jonah ran from God. Jonah said, I hate those people. There is no way that I will give you the opportunity to forgive them, God. First off, God can get somebody else if you don't do it, dummy. But he said, I'm not going to do it. And God said, I really think you're not to do it. And God threw enough things in his path, and he changed his mind. It didn't matter that he started arguing with God and running the opposite direction. It didn't matter that he was swallowed by a fish and vomited onto the shore. It matters where he ended, the revival came. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters where you end. Um, don't bog down. Number two, don't bog down in the mud. There's an old saying that I really like. It says, if you wrestle with pigs, you'll both get dirty, but the pig likes it. <laughs> we get bogged down so many times in mud. We come to things, and, and now here's the thing. Mud can be a lot of different things. You may get bogged down in really good things. You may get bogged down in important things, but we get bogged down and we don't move any further. The Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is there, and he's talking to the disciples, and, 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 and the two the two beings appear beside him. The two that haven't died. Everybody know what I'm talking about? You, you know who I, you, everybody got this? Look up the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a really cool story. And so Peter says, you know what? We should build a temple right here. We should build three temples. One to you, one to Elijah. We need, we, we need to build these three temples and, and, and make one each right here. And Jesus is like, ah, no. Don't get bogged down, Peter, in, in, in this right here. I've got something else for you to do. It can be very good, the things we get bogged down in. We get bogged down uh, getting into political arguments about things that, that, you know, there are important issues that we face, and leaving a legacy means that we have to stand up and we have to say things that are not going to be popular. But we can't get so bogged down in arguments that we both end up so dirty that they can't tell the difference between Jesus Christ followers and the followers of the world. We have to be careful we don't get bogged down in all of these other things 
The key to leaving a legacy means that we know what to... I told you guys about the mentor that, I, that, that I've had for years. Um, I got an email this week that he, he may not... I told you guys he was, he's got cancer. At, I got an email this week. He's probably not going to make it till Christmas. He's a great man. And the thing that he told me that I've always followed is this. You write down in the front of your Bible three lists. The things, things that are worth dying over, the things that are worth fighting over, and the things that don't really matter. And I told you guys, I, I've shared this once before, the older I get, the more, those, the, the more the things that don't matter, the more that list gets, the bigger it gets, and the things that are worth dying and fighting over get smaller and smaller. Because I understand that Christ and Him crucified is the thing that God wants me to share. That God wants me to tell people that, that there is grace. And it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've done, that God can love you and forgive you. And it doesn't matter where you started, it's where you finish. And all the other arguments that when I was younger, and I loved to argue because I always wanted to be a lawyer and I thought I'd be a really good one arguing about stuff. And, and you know, it, it, that, that those arguments get bogged down in the mud. But to leave a legacy, I can't get bogged down in the mud and I can't get do these. Matthew, one of the things we get bogged down in sometimes is self-pity. Matthew 5.45 starts this. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun and warm, the, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless. If you're like me and you grew up reading King James, it says that he reigns on the just and the unjust alike. Um, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, what do you expect? A medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner can do that. In a word, what I'm saying is this. Grow up. You're kingdom subjects. You're king's kids, dang it. Now live like it. Live out what your God-created identity is. Live generously and graciously towards others the way that God lives towards you. Don't get bogged down in the unimportant things. But to leave a legacy, we keep our eyes on the prize, which takes me to number four. Or takes me to number three. I'm sorry, Tommy. I didn't mean to throw you a curve there. Focus on the mission. We don't get bogged down because we keep our eyes on the mission. What is the mission? I shared this, guys. I, I've shared it. Our mission is to make disciples. Our mission is to go forth. Uh, the, scripture, the scripture is Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came to them and said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go to the people of all nations and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to do everything that I've told you to do. I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. We sang a song a few minutes ago. It said, because you're with me, because you're with me, because you're with me, I will not fear. You know, my wife and I had to go, we had to go take care of an area yesterday with some, it was a family thing. And so um, we were going to take care of this area and, and it was a situation that was uncomfortable because we, we had no idea where we were going. We had no idea all the things that we had to do. And, uh, and, and so we stopped and prayed. I, I was, I am so grateful for, for a wife that I have that uh, I'm thinking it before I can get out of my mouth, before we walk in the door, she says, hey, let's pray real quick. And so I said, you know what? I was just thinking that. And so so the three of us that were in the car, we prayed together and we said, God, lead us and, and you know, take, take us to the place that we need to go. Lead us to the person we need to talk to. Help us to do what we need to do. And so all these things, and, and, and everything worked out fine. Everything happened. But you see, it was just like that song. And I thought about it as I was sitting there while they were singing, because you're with me, I don't have to fear. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. You don't have to be afraid. And that's what, to leave a legacy we can we cannot get bogged down and we can keep our eyes on the prize. We can keep our eyes on the mission because he's with us always, even to the ends of the earth. Number four, the most important key, never, never 
Never give up. Galatians 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 9. So let's allow ourselves. I'm sorry, is there? So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. You guys probably, if you're like me, you grew up, you heard weary not in well-doing for you'll reap, a, you'll reap a harvest in due season. This morning, I don't know where you are and I don't know what's going on, but I know where I'm at and I know what's going on. And I know where some people are because those that, that I'm involved in their life and, and, and we talk, and I, I just wanted, I want you to know if you don't hear anything else I said this morning, if nothing else has mattered to this point, let this one thing, it doesn't matter what you're going through. If you will not give up, you will see the reward that God has. God has given you, you are God's plan. The whole purpose of this kind of ties a bow on everything that Pastor Rick has been sharing with you for the last several weeks. You are God's plan. And God's plan is not just for you to be involved in this ministry or that ministry. It's not just about today and tomorrow and next week. It's about 20 years from now. It's about 30 years from now, 40, 50, 100 years from now. However long before Jesus comes back and we see all the, the end time events unfold, however long that happens to be, it's about leaving a legacy. As a church, as a family, and as men and women of God. Would you stand with me and come to the forward? If you come to the front, we like to end, we, we like to end up here with a, with a song, and, and we like to, um, it's not going to get any weirder than it's been so far, I promise. And so we like to end together and to sing, but we also want to do that. We've got, we've got guys up here, and, and, and most of them all have got lanyards on that says 2911 Prayer Team. These guys have been praying. These guys have been studying, and they are ready to pray for you this morning. We prayed together and we talked this morning, and these guys are, these guys are here to pray with you. There's nothing magical about them. There's nothing, there's nothing that's uh, super spiritual. It's that these guys are following their calling. These men and women are leaving a legacy in this church by praying for those who need it. And all they want to do is pray with you this morning. So if you're here and, and you have that, uh, Jamie's going to start here in just a second. There's, there's, one final, there's one final quote I want to leave you with. For me, this is something that I ran across a couple of months back, and it's, it's kind of become, become my, my theme that I want. I have an irrepressible desire to live until I can be assured that the world is a little better for my having lived in it. I want to leave a legacy. I want to know that what I did made a difference. I don't want to just, I don't want to be the guy whose collections get, my wife and I have gone through parents things in the last several years. We've lost parents and, and my dad's been put in a nursing home and so we've, we're cleaning out two sets of things. I don't want somebody to simply go through my things and try to decipher what's junk and what needs to be sold and what, I want what I did, not things, but I want a legacy. I want my kids I want, I want the community to say he was part of Church 2911. Those are the guys that did this. 
He was, a, he was a follower of Jesus Christ. He wasn't a hypocrite. He was a guy that stood and he walked what he said. That's what, that's what a legacy is all about.